everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. It is our honour and our privilege to have with us Dr. John Nash, who is the Department Chair and also Associate Professor in the Department of Educational Leadership Studies at the University of Kentucky. Also, he wrote an incredible book called Design Thinking in Schools, which is a leader's guide to collaboration for improvement. John, great to have you with us. Thanks, it's great to be here, Craig, appreciate it. Now, John, I've got my, my notepad ready, my paper ready, I've got my pen ready. I really want to encourage everyone to make sure they can take notes as you're sharing because, you know, from your bio and what you've done and your, your number of positions you've had in different institutions and your contribution to design thinking, leadership and education has been really phenomenal. So I'm expecting to get some real nuggets of wisdom from you. So I really hope everyone has got their pen and their paper ready. Great, I'm looking forward to it. Why don't you share with us about your role that you have now and what you do? Sure, uh, I'm, I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, and it's in the Department of Educational Leadership Studies. Uh, I'm in the fourth year as department chair now, and with any luck, uh, I'll be routing off of that role uh, and going back to being a normal professor once again, hopefully. Uh, uh, but in, in, that, in my role, uh, I uh, do teaching and research and service to my community, uh, all in the name of trying to advance uh, school leaders' ability to lead in schools with compassion and uh, with uh, intelligence. And so uh, our department's role is chiefly to uh, prepare school leaders for the um, public schools in, in our Commonwealth, but also for private schools and also for many leaders in international school settings. And we have a footprint uh, in international schools in, um, in Europe and in Asia. And so uh, but my my love and my work is around my teaching and uh, this semester is the semester that I teach uh, my course design thinking and education and in that I bring a disparate uh, group of students uh, from advanced undergraduates all the way to doctoral level students who learn human centered design as a lens for leadership for change. Uh, whether they're in schools or whether they're in business or whether they're in the uh, in the community. You said that you try to help school leaders lead with compassion and intelligence. Is it your experience that that's not all the, always the case? No, that's fair. I set myself up for that a bit, didn't I? Um, no, no, of course, there are, we, we work with so many bright leaders who are uh, compelled to really serve uh, their students. Uh, but uh, what I do think uh, we're driven to do is continually um, uh, beat the drum of reminding leaders that compassion, empathy, and really in sort of a, a mode of listening to their communities, their students, their teachers, their parents um, is uh, the, the value add that really brings around change in schools today. I think the um, the competitive edge, the competitive advantage that if they're willing to take it up is uh, facilitated listening, really listening to everything and everyone around them so that they can find the best ways to meet the unmet needs of those around them. The schools that we have today, uh, as well-intentioned as they are, um, interestingly enough, 
rarely take on the the voice and the interests of those who are most impacted by the institution, which is the student. There are hundreds, if not thousands of students in any one given campus. Um, but the way in which we've decided to train leaders and, uh, and uh, run schools tends not those students uh, first as a way to think about how to run the school. We have a more top-down notion. We're, we're guilty of it in our own leadership programs. Of course, our program, we're trying to think about ways to change that. Uh, and, but uh, most leadership programs think about ways in which they can uh, socialize their, their learners, their uh, leaders in preparation to uh, run schools. They read their books, they go do their field experiences and then they're kicked out of the program and we tell them, go lead. But we don't give them a lot of tools around which they might think about how to um, listen to the stakeholders around them better or how to uh, use, well, in my case, how to use things like human-centered design approaches to uh, suss out or discover unmet needs to uh, do the kinds of not problem solving, but solution finding that really needs to go on to make schools work well. And so that's part of what my work has been about is trying to do more of that so that we put leaders out there that are more concerned with uh, a service mentality and thinking about designing solutions rather than putting out fires and trying to solve problems. Mm. Can you share with us one of the tools or strategies that leaders could use in facilitated listening, as you've said, to capture the, the voice of the stakeholders? Sure. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of interesting ways to go about that. I've been playing around with ideas here and with my colleagues around ways in which we can lift student voice in an authentic way where uh, young children, as young as you know, in grade school, middle level, and even in secondary, can work shoulder to shoulder with the adults in the school to develop uh, curriculum policy, to, to develop any policies across the board. And, and the ways in which these things happen is firstly through the school leaders and the teachers uh, going on a, a deliberate journey to understand what the students' lives are like. And so one tool that I've been a fan of that's become popular here through work through other organizations is, uh, is the is sort of a student safari or shadow a student day. But there's a lot of very interesting things that happen when a school principal, for instance, elects to set aside the calendar and uh, partner up with a student and shadow them all day through their school day. The principal ostensibly has been a leader of that school, knows the school well, but you would be amazed what they learn as they go through the day with the student and what that student's life is like in those classes, at their lunch hour, uh, when they're with their friends. And not putting too much burden on schools and how they need to improve, but what generally happens is that the leader comes back shocked at how boring class is, uh, how little interaction the student has, peers in terms of doing academic work, how where, where gaps are in the teaching, um, all things, how terrible the lunch is. So um, this has been a really interesting way to get people just to start to think about putting themselves in literally in the shoes of students. And once you start to understand what the students' lives are like, then you can start to understand what their needs are as they express them to you. 
is they might express them to you without going through an exercise like that. The words can kind of fall flat. They might go in one ear and out the other, but as you can contextualize them, then you can start to think about ways in which to improve things. And so with your colleagues in your own department, how do you implement this as you develop your curriculum for your team? Ah, you know, sometimes I feel like I am the cobbler whose children have no shoes. Um, we, we, we all struggle at this. This is, um, this is something that we try to do. We try to be uh, good listeners of our own graduate students. We try to be, I try to be a good listeners of the faculty and staff in my department uh, because without doing that, we end up uh, inventing ideas. I mean, I've been, I've been guilty of this. I've invented ideas in my head that I think surely are good policy and, and, and good practices uh, only to unveil them and, and have them fall flat and then get an email later saying what a terrible idea that was. Um, and this is all avoided by uh, convening folks and talking about what we want collectively as a group and then what we might do to uh, achieve that and really hearing everybody out. Can you give us the, the cliff notes on design thinking and what that really means? Sure. Uh, I like to think of it as a solution finding process, not a problem solving process. I like to think of design thinking as an approach to uh, solving heretofore intractable challenges that uh, an organization like a school might face. And uh, by and they're solving these intractable challenges or addressing them with some success by going through a, usually a stepwise process uh, or a linear process, but it doesn't have to be linear, of, uh, of empathy and understanding the needs of another. This is, a, this is an exercise in designing for someone else. So there really is a service mentality to it. Now, you would like designing for what others would like. Uh, through empathy, really then defining from the point of view of the, we call the user, the person we're designing for, uh, the challenge that they're facing. And then uh, going through a process of brainstorming solutions, potential solutions, wild ideas, uh, uh, divergent thinking of to uh, address the challenge. And then uh, harvesting that brainstorm to find the most uh, potentially successful ideas that you could go prototype and test, try out. And so, uh, and then those that seem to have legs, you can uh, iterate on those and uh, scale them up. And so um, the idea is that you um, are able to bring ideas to fore that are really meeting a need and you're trying them out right then and there. Um, if I can, digress for a second, you know, uh, schools, uh, well, I bet if you, you're in a school, I'm in a school, if we turn to our neighbors, if we could in this pandemic and ask them to raise their hands, how they feel about going to meetings or do they think they go to too many meetings or do they think that there's too much discussion before we make a decision? Design thinking really is the antithesis to this. So it's not focused on about what should happen, but it's actually, uh, uh, with a bias towards action of actually trying things out quickly and to fail fast to succeed sooner. Uh, 
And so this idea of being able to uh, take risks inside the school, try something out that might not work, but then uh, by knowing it doesn't work, you have saved lots of um, money, uh, time, resources, people on an effect that won't happen. I, when we run workshops on this, and we'll raise their hands up, how many initiatives have they been in? Or have they been in, in an initiative recently where um, a lot of big plans were made and a lot of uh, uh, time and treasure was spent to bring something to the fore, maybe a curriculum or some other professional development effort, and then nothing ever came of it. And hands always go up. Um, because there was never really an established need for the thing that was being created. It was never tested out on say children or colleagues or the community. And so design thinking offers an opportunity for you to think about um, who needs it, uh, make solutions to those needs and try them out all relatively quickly so that you can find out what works and then move forward uh, with something successful. So John, not every organization would have the culture that's ready for that. So how can a leader or a leadership team put some things in place culturally or relationally to help educators and, and team members try this out? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's something I considered in my book too. And in one of the, I have a tool, it's sort of a stoplight protocol so that teachers and principals can sit and think together about how ready they are to engage in design thinking, because um, you're right, it is a, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a left turn, if you will, from the way some schools may be run or the way some principals and other leaders may like to run their schools, which is maybe relatively top down. Design thinking asks the organization to embrace the people who are not the experts in the school and yet know the most about how the school should run for their own best interest, students, parents, lay professionals, um, uh, teaching assistants, things like that. The people who really know, uh, the, the, the people in the lunchroom, the janitorial folks. Um, and so um, how do you get people ready to do that? You, you have to be in a place where you're willing to accept opinions and, uh, uh, and diverse ideas from people who aren't normally at the table. And if you're not accustomed to doing that, then it's good to have some uh, gatherings to talk about why you believe those, those opinions aren't, haven't been valid in the past and why it's possible that they actually could. And so uh, the stoplight protocol is a nice way, it's a friendly way for uh, teams to size that might be yellow lights in different areas of, uh, of design thinking so that they can begin to think ahead. Like where are the people who are change averse? Where are the people who are going to run really fast with this? How can we talk about, how could we do a, a demonstration project in a corner of the school that might practice design thinking and show results to others so that they might begin to understand its potential? So those are some of the things that we've been talking about doing with people. So what tickled your interest and inspired you to pursue design thinking? Um, I can, I can point to a, a definite point in time in my life when this, this came to be. Um, in, uh, in the late 90s, I was, uh, I was a, an assistant professor at the University of Texas at El Paso, and um, I'm a native of the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I had the great opportunity to go back to the Bay Area and work 
at Stanford University as a social research scientist in a lab called the Stanford Learning Lab. And the, uh, my, the folks I worked with there, uh, among them was uh, Larry Leifer, uh, one of the uh, then co-founders of the D School at Stanford. So I came in as a, uh, as a uh, social research scientist uh, doing, doing uh, evaluation and assessment for the projects in our lab with no real sense of what design thinking was about and um, ended up with this uh, cadre of folks and in my time at the lab uh, in a, what happened to be just sort of a crash course in design thinking. And uh, I fell in love with it. It became, it's, it reversed my ways of thinking that I had been taught in my formal doctoral research looked like, what knowledge looked like, uh, where knowledge comes from. And uh, when I left Stanford and eventually I went back to becoming a professor, um, I saw an opportunity for uh, design thinking to be used as a lens for leadership in schools because that was, there was an interesting gap there. What I discovered is that um, much of the great work around design thinking that has been done uh, through the D School, um, at IDEO, uh, with other organizations, um, it of course had grown out of, uh, out of IDEO and had been, work had been done with Steelcase and other industry partners to think about the ways in which design could be uh, beneficial for um, furniture and industrial uh, settings. Um, and then it moved into some uh, nonprofit settings things we use for design thinking in the developing world to think about new ideas for solving difficult and intractable problems around water and health. Uh, and then we start to see design thinking get into the schools and we start to see an interest in teachers and leaders thinking about students being design thinkers uh, and the ways in which students could, you know, it, it's sort of a sister of the maker movement. We see maker movements happening. And so then design and design thinking comes in. And when looking at all this, and I arrived at Iowa State University at the um, Department of uh, Educational Leadership and Policy Studies and um, thought, well, here's our gap. We've hit except around the leaders. That, um, I was working with some folks at the Center for Advanced Study of uh, Technology uh, Leadership and Education school technology leadership. And um, the mantra there with Scott McLeod, the founder of that center, was that if leaders don't get it, nobody will. And that was sort of the thought around this with the design thinking is that here we have this gap. Teachers and students are supposed to be doing design thinking. It's happening in industry. It's happening in the developing world and nonprofits. But what are school leaders doing about being thoughtful around uh, understanding the unmet needs of the people they lead? That's when I started to integrate it into the curriculum there at, at Iowa State, and then subsequently arriving here at the University of Kentucky, I founded the Laboratory on Design Thinking and Education, where, uh, which is a partner with my course uh, in design thinking here. That's fantastic. So John, just in a couple of minutes that we have left, for those that are aspiring leaders, whether it's in education or another industry, or a leader that wants to move on to that next position, what would you say are some things from your perspective that could set them up really well to be successful in their next role? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, I'll probably start to sound like a broken record. I think that there is an opportunity 
in the ways in which uh, good design that leaders thinking about moving to a new position or trying to understand their organization, they can borrow from that. And so um, there's, there's, a, there's a, 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 a funny, it's a, a, um, it's a law, like it's called Boyle's Law, as I'm told. It's called Boyle's Law. And the Boyle's Law says, never arrive at a meeting without a prototype. And um, when you think about things in that way, what that suggests really is that um, no one should come into a meeting or, or, or an engagement or uh, an interaction without being willing to bring an idea uh, to bear that could be beneficial, but you also have no real tie to the idea. In other words, the idea is not precious. It's more that you want to get feedback from the idea because that's how you learn about others. So I think the idea is, uh, that I'm trying to get at here is that Uh, as in out the setting they're in or if they want to advance anytime it was in front of them, then they can be in a better create solutions with them. We like to say design with, not for. Yeah, I really like that. Leaders do need to be proactive and so come in with that idea, that solution, that prototype. That's great. That's fantastic wisdom. John, do you have a copy of your book available or handy that you could show yeah, us just so people know what to look here, for? Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah. Can I hold that up there? Yeah, this is it. What's the best way to get hold of that? Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, and so you can get it there. It's also available through the publisher at Harvard Education Press. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's written uh, as an approachable guide for school leaders to put design thinking into place to create change in their schools. So I've uh, got examples from throughout uh, my experiences, uh, uh, both in some from Canada, some from here in the States, uh, and some case studies in there, along with tools on just how to do it. So. Uh, that's, I hope it's, uh, I hope it's helpful to folks who get their hands on it. Dr. John, really want to thank you for your time. Appreciate your wisdom. I've got a couple of pages of notes and I hope everyone else has too. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care.